So this is Matt, everybody, um, who you already know. Sorry, that really caught you off guard, didn't you? Um, yeah, are you ready to go? Do you yeah. want to, like, have a drink or anything? No, no, I'm good. You good? Um, can I pray for you? Yeah. Awesome. Um, God, without your spirit here, everything just falls flat, Lord. And we just ask your Holy Spirit to fill Matt now as he preaches your word. Um, we thank you, Lord, that you already are here. And we pray that you speak to each one of us in this room, Lord. We love you and we just want to spend all night loving you more, Lord. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks, Anna. Uh, how are we all doing? Are we good? Um, it's Christmas time almost. It was a month on Friday for, to Christmas to come. And um, it sneaks up on me every year. Like, I swear last week was August, and now it's Christmas. Um, but that is all good. Hey, um, last Christmas was the first time in our family, or Melissa's side of the family, that we had uh, the next generation um, in part of our family. I think we have a photo of this. Uh, yes. Um, I promise I got changed first, and um, he obviously was like, you know, liked what he saw and decided to go after that look as well. Um, but something that I've, well, it's kind of intuitive, but I've kind of learned this in practice about babies is that they're super messy, right? Like, um, and they generally don't clean up after themselves. Like, they, you know, don't really learn that um, at this sort of age. And so, like, whenever um, Abe is around at our place, he's, like, into lemons um, of all the things that you can be into. And so we have a handful of lemons, and you just, like, throw them under the couch or something. And so, you know, whenever you get home, uh, or whenever, like, they leave, we'll find lemons under the couch or behind the TV um, or anything like that. Um, there's also, like, the odd vindaloo stain on our couch. And you may wonder how that's connected to the baby. But another thing I've learned is that these guys will just eat anything, eh? Um, and like, I can't eat this vindaloo because it's too hot. But Abe's like, yeah, give that to me. Um, but yeah, for many of us, like, the fact that, that, that babies would make a mess would be, like, reasonably intuitive. And most of us would understand that it would be unreasonable to expect um, a baby, like, to even clean up its own mess, right? And I think it's one of the, like cool things about Christmas is that we have this truth that there was a baby who came to earth basically to clean up our mess. And it's just an interesting thing that some babies are like, not like other babies, you know, like this was an, an, a unique and unusual baby. And we, we, we came to this point in human history where humanity was proving inadequate to, to deal with the problems that we created, right? Like humanity was proving inadequate um, to, to redeem itself from this problem of sin that we kind of stepped ourselves into. And we come to this point 2,000 years ago um, in Israel in this kind of like outback of Israel where this couple was trying to find somewhere to stay and they end up in this animal shelter. It was at this point that God would intervene in human history, that, that Christ who was God from the beginning and who all things were created stepped into earth, took on flesh and dwelt among us and became Emmanuel, God with us. And it's incredible that Christ came as both a baby and as a king. He comes as a child that would enable us to become children of God. And he comes as a king that would invite us to be co-heirs of his everlasting kingdom. And so, and the truth of this is that we've been given this gift of hope at Christmas time. Hope not rooted in like blind optimism or political ambition or in money or in wealth or, or the belief in science and technology or just the belief in people. But hope that was built upon the fact that God would intervene in human history just when we needed to. He inserted himself into his own creation as a Jewish baby 2,000 years ago. And you know, this gift of hope that we have is, is a gift of love. 
that God loved us enough to step into our mess. He loved us enough to step into this mess that we created and offered himself to clean it up for us on our behalf when we didn't deserve it. And you know, many of us have heard this, this, this before, is that, that before Jesus came, we were separated from God. We had, um, you know, we, took, we had this problem of sin in our life, and this kept us separate from God because we couldn't meet his standard of holiness. And yet Christ came as the perfect human. He grew up from this point of being a baby um, and actually died on the cross. He took the death that we didn't deserve. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so in dying on the cross, Jesus took the consequences of our sin onto himself so that the barrier would be removed from us. We're going to have a look at a few verses in Romans 8 tonight pretty quickly. And Romans 8 starts like this in uh, 1 to 4. It says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so Christ removes this barrier of sin from our lives. We are no longer separated from God. But, you know, our hope is much fuller than just not being separated from God. He doesn't leave us as kind of like spiritual refugees. We've been taken out of our issue, but we have nowhere to call home. Our hope is in... Um, uh, our hope is in the fact that he gives us these positions and status of, of incredible identity and belonging. And I want to look at a couple of biblical images tonight that I think really like substantiate the hope that we have. And so the first one is that, that the arrival of Christ as a child enables us to live in our own identity as children of God. Um, John said in John 14, he said that, uh, John 1 actually, yet to all who did not receive him, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And, you know, we're given this amazing uh, position as children of God. We have, like, the, the access and the proximity and the familiarity and the privileges that a child has to a parent. But in this case, it's hugely amplified because it's to a perfect parent. It's to God. Um, he would call us his children. And not only are we children, but the arrival of Christ as king paves the way to the invitation that we all have to enter into this eternal kingdom of God. And not just as like peasants or, or as average citizens, but Paul describes it in a pretty incredible way. He says that those of us who are children of God are therefore by extension co-heirs to the kingdom of heaven. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in the sufferings, in order that we may also share in 
his glory. And so we have this hope that through the work of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have an identity as children of God and we have a place of belonging as heirs to this eternal kingdom. But Paul does contend with the fact that, that while we have this incredible future hope, it's not yet fully realized. The world we find ourselves in now is hugely different from the coming world that we look forward to. And he does comment on this um, immediately after the last verse I just read. And so I'm going to read out um, a couple of verses, so stick with us. It's pretty cool. It says, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the firstfruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Um, and I want to highlight kind of like three things from Paul's teaching on hope here. Um, and they were actually done, so I might go the band up after that. But the, the first thing that I want to draw out is that, that the downside of the present time that we find ourselves in is incomparable with the upside of what is to come. Um, I do quite like in this passage that there's a recognition that like, what we have now is pretty average in a lot of ways. Like the, the, he uses this metaphor and an acknowledgement that we have a future hope, but lots of that isn't fully realized yet. Um, and so there's a recognition that there's significant pain and tension this side of eternity. But what Paul's doing is he's not diminishing that. He's amplifying that which is to come, right? And so um, the, the, there's a recognition now that some things are tough, but what is to come is so infinitely better than what we have at the moment. And so the glory that is to be revealed far outweighs the present suffering. Uh, and the second thing that, that, it, that he draws out is that the groans of the world and our bodies point forward to the redemption and the restoration that is to come. And so Paul uses in that, in that passage, he uses kind of a, uh, in a way it's a metaphor, and in a way it's also uh, true, um, in a kind of literal sense, that, that, that creation and our bodies groan with like the not rightness of the world at the moment. Like we have this inbuilt sense, and we see it in creation, that not everything is as it's designed to be, not everything is that it should be. The consequences of sin in our lives are evident and can be overwhelming. And yet our sense that, it is, that all is not right is because it conflicts with this hope that we have, right? It's kind of like the contrast of what is to come actually highlights the not rightness of what we feel at the moment. Um, and if you've engaged with like any of C.S. Lewis's stuff, he has kind of deals with this idea quite a lot in, in mere Christianity. But like if we didn't have the contrast with what is to come, what we have now wouldn't necessarily be like wrong or like it just kind of would be. It just would be what it would be, and that's like what we've been given. But because our, in our hearts we have this groaning for, for that is to come, we have this yearning, we have an, um, a sense that what we have at the moment is not necessarily right. 
But for everything that we know isn't right, we can look at, at that and say, for those of us who are in the kingdom of God, for those of us who trust Jesus, one day this won't be like this. Everything that's not quite right can be seen as a reminder of the hope that we have that one day um, this is not going to be right. And I love, the, there's a quote in The Lord of the Rings where Sam's talking to Frodo at the end, and, and he says this thing like, because you know when like Gandalf comes back and he thinks all these people are dead, and he sees all these people come back into the room, and it's all like sunshines and rainbows and stuff. And, and Frodo says this quote like, will everything bad that's happened be undone? And I think it's it's such a cool understanding of heaven that that everything bad, everything that's gone wrong in the world because of sin will be reverted back to its designed state, will be reverted back to totally reflecting the goodness and the love of Christ. And so the hope that we have enables us to wait both eagerly and patiently for what is to come. Paul says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience, but this knowledge of what is to come, this future orientation that we live with enables us to live hopefully now because we know what we have now isn't the complete, fi- isn't the complete picture. It isn't the complete story. You know, this is a, a temporal, a temporary um, state of being that the world's in at the moment and one day everything bad will be undone. Um, I like the, in Genesis, it talks about sin being like weeds in the world. It talks about, you know, like um, when man fell, there was all these thorns and, the, and, and these weeds. And I, um, I do the gardening and you pull out weeds and they flame and come back. You know, like as much weeding as you do, the weeds come back. And yet our understanding of, of the kingdom of God, of, of eternal redemption, is one day the weeds of the world just won't come back. We just have a weedless world. And this garden's like perfect, and it, it keeps being perfect. And that there's an opportunity, you know, if, if you don't know Christ or if you don't know Jesus, um, there's, there's, it's, there's a dependence in, in, in the word, and we're told, you know, it's for those of us who love and trust Jesus will see this reality. But it's an open invite. It's not a closed shot. Um, there is a love that, that Christ has for every single person in here. And my prayer for you is that, um, you know, you would really lean into to the substance of the hope that God gives us um, for those that trust in his name, for those that, that would lean on his name and, and, and love him. And so I'm going to pray. I might, I might grab the band up now. But, um, yeah, Father, thank you for the hope that you've given us, Lord. Thank you that, that the hope isn't built on um, anything that we can do or anything um, that, that, that humans can influence, Lord, but we have this hope in something that was beyond us, but that you freely gave, Lord. Lord, I want to pray for, for every person in this room, Lord, that um, we know this side of eternity that everything's not always going to be right, Lord, that there are so many genuine struggles and just average as stuff happening, Lord, and that, that, that we, grew, we do groan inwardly that, that that stuff would end, Lord. And um, we look forward that, that through the giving of your son that you've enabled that, that to happen, Lord. I pray um, as we go out into this Christmas time, Lord, and, and into the remainder of our lives, that we'd have this hopeful disposition, Lord, that wouldn't diminish what we or other people are going through, but that would look beyond that to, to the eternal hope that you've given us, Lord, that to the redemption and the restoration of this world. Yeah, Lord, would you just enable us to, to share your love and to share your joy and to be hopeful, Lord, to be future-orientated um, in you, Lord. I just pray for anyone who, who hasn't um, accepted this invitation that you, you freely provide for them, Lord. Would you be speaking to their hearts, Lord? Would you be revealing yourself to them that, that there is an opportunity here to be set free from, um, yeah, just the sin and the bondage of this world, Lord, into, into the light and into redemption. So, uh, yeah, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen.